The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired To make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, just as we read this passage of the fall of man, um, we just confess that we feel that curse um, to present day, Lord, that we are all guilty of choosing other things um, besides you, Lord, of, of thinking that we know better than you, thinking that we um, can, can be sovereign over our own lives. And we do this um, continually, Lord, and we are in need of a savior. This passage um, just speaks that so clearly to our hearts that we are in need of Jesus. We're in need of someone to break the curse, to take the power of sin from us, Um, And so, Lord, we just reflect on that this morning. We ask that you would speak to us um, in gentleness and kindness, but also in truth and in boldness. Um, Lord, it stands out to me so much that even after um, Adam and Eve were cursed, you still clothed them. Um, You still knew their needs and met their needs. 
Lord, you are so gracious with us. Um, and we just thank you so much that you sent your son, Jesus, um, to make things right. And we look forward to the day that all will be restored on the earth. Um, and we love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mary. All right, good morning. I just want to welcome you this morning. If this is your first time, my name is Randall, and um, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Uh, we've been in this series in Genesis from the start of the year, 2019, and we are talking through the, we, we call it the gospel in Genesis. Uh, the good news of Jesus um, is all throughout the Bible, and, and we really get to see that on display today in this text. Now, before I jump into today, today's message, um, you know, at the very beginning of the year, we set out some goals. We said uh, 30, 20, 10, and so part of that was 30 um, new volunteers, 20,000 in just local ties and offerings, and uh, 10 city groups. And I'm so excited to tell you that we have 11 city groups that are starting uh, next month. So praise God for that. And in March, March 17th, we're going to start two services. So we're going to do a little uh, bit of a test. We're going to do it from March 17th through May. Um, so a 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. just to update you on what's going on. Now, in this series, in week one, uh, we talked about God being the creator. So we saw that in Genesis 1, that God created from nothing everything that exists, and he is the sustainer of all things. Uh, last week, Ryan did a fantastic job in talking about how God is relational, right? He's not a distant God, distant from his creation, but God is very intentional and relational within his creation. That's how he's created you and me. Today, um, our text is Genesis 3, uh, 1 through 21. And in this scripture, um, this is what will we find out, that God is Savior. God is his savior. So we need to ask, as we read through Genesis 1 and 2, we see that all creation was good. Everything was set. Why does God need to be savior? Well, today's passage in Genesis 3 explains the why. See, this passage is the why behind the evil you and I see on a daily basis. Uh, you see, I was overwhelmed this week as I scrolled through my news feed uh, just to see report after report of violence, abuse, hatred, pain, cruelty. I mean, whenever we turn on the news, it seems like there's this gravitational pull towards all of the negative, evil things that are happening in this world and it's report after report. And so we have to ask the question, as we see that, why is this world the way that it is? And there are different arguments out there. Uh, some argue that it's social environment. That it's social environment, that it's the, the environment that you grew up in that causes you or I to make evil decisions, bad decisions. But science and research continues to show again and again that it, it, it has to be more than just social environment. 
Some argue that now they believe that it's genetic, that it's in your genetics, and so um, some people are just prone to be evil because of their genetic uh, makeup, their DNA. I recently read in an article in Scientific American that it said, well, now we believe that it's, it's both. And so it's environment plus genetics, which equals uh, evil. But what about those cases in which it's just the person next door? It's just the person that you would have never thought that they could have done something like that. Or what about if it gets a little closer and it hits home and you say, hold on, I never thought I would do that. That thing that's within me that scares you and I, if we're honest. See, the Bible gives us a very clear answer on what it is. It's the account of the fall. And for some... Even as I say that, that could be very hard to believe. So you're telling me, okay, God created and then humanity, Adam, Eve, they made this decision and that's what caused all of the chaos that we have in our world right now? Would you consider that this could be the reason why there's so much evil in the world? And if we're honest in our own hearts? See, God's story is broken up like this. There's creation and God created everything good. But then the second part of the story is that there is a fall. The fall of man. But the second, or the the last two chapters, there's redemption and restoration. See, we're going to get to that. But we have to sit in this second part, the second chapter, the fall for a minute. Thinker, philosopher, Blaise Pascal, once says, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? That there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking the things that are not there, to help he, the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help. Since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. What is he thinking about here? He's saying something has happened within man, within you and me, where there is this infinite abyss of emptiness. Why would we have that? He says, because at some point, we didn't have that abyss. There's an empty print and trace, but it leads back to something that filled it. And Pascal says it was God who filled that place. See, in the fall Humanity lost God. That relationship that we talked about with God. What is the emptiness? Spiritual death. It's traced back, many theologians call it original sin. Augustine coined that, and so it's original sin in that 
when Adam and Eve sinned, it tainted all of humanity towards prone to sin. It says that we are spiritually dead. And so it's very much like the temptation that happens in the garden where the serpent looks at Eve and says, surely not going to die. But as they're ushered out of the garden, that's the picture of death. Separation from God. Ephesians 2.1 says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. The infinite abyss, the emptiness. And so what's God's solution to the emptiness, the evil, sin, the death? A savior. A savior. Not a to-do list, not a checklist. Here you go. Go be a good person. No. It is so desperate that you and I need a savior. So our text today is Genesis 3, 1 through 21. And here's the setup. In verse 1, we have the serpent enter the story. Um, God from the start created everything good. He created the serpent. He gave purpose to Adam and Eve, but now Satan has entered the serpent and is manipulating humanity away from God. If you want to know more, I'm not going to jump into talking about the devil, Satan, any of those things today, but you can go back online. Last October, I talked about that specifically. Um, You can learn a little bit more there. But um, today, we're going to just jump into the first seven verses, and then then we're going to break this down from there. And so here's what it says. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So God made him. He's crafty, though. And so Satan has entered in. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may uh, eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit uh, of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Okay, so we don't see anywhere where God said, if you touch it, You'll die, but so there's a little bit, it's getting a little skewed here. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, uh, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Uh, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree uh, was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She gave some to her husband uh, who was with her. He ate. The eyes were, both were opened, and uh, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Here's what's happening. I want to point out a few things here. First, this is interesting. The serpent uses distant language for God. So up to this point, God, throughout creation, Genesis 1 and 2, has been called the Lord God. But now, the serpent comes into the story and says to Eve, Did God actually say that? So here's what it is. It's a shift. It's a move from a personal relationship to now a theological discussion. Let's distance ourselves from God for a minute. Let's talk about him. He's not here, right? He doesn't really know. He does. Let's talk about him for a minute. Did God really say that? Right, and it's this track 
It's, it's this path that's forming. Second, the serpent is sarcastic about God's com, uh, commands. Sarcastic. Uh, did God actually say? Um, the word that's used for crafty is, um, you know, shrewdness. And um, to think that the, 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 the words in which that the, the, the serpent is using, it, it's, it's basically a warning. It's a warning. Don't accept the words at face value. So the, the serpent uses the, the, the phrase, did God actually say? And what this is, is it's sarcasm. It's sarcasm. You think about uh, some of the reasons why you um, and maybe I, like, we don't believe in God, right? Or you've been convinced not to believe in God. Maybe some of us today, like, have come in and convinced, been convinced not to believe in God or even the story of the fall or creation or any of these things. What is it that usually causes that? It's usually not an argument. That's not an argument. Did God really say that's not an argument, is it? It's sarcasm. And so what is it that causes you and I not to believe God? Hold on, you, you're educated, right? You believe in God? You believe that there's a God who became man and, and, and lived and, and, and died for your sins? Do you see what I'm saying here? That's not an argument. That's not somebody coming up to you saying, hey, um, here's some legitimate reasons of why I just don't believe that God became man and was resurrected and any of those things. Like, there, there's, there's no argument. There's sarcasm. And what sarcasm does is it starts to make you feel really small. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe I sh- shouldn't believe that. Maybe, maybe somebody who is educated just doesn't believe that. And you start to question And that's the setup here that the serpent is using to get Eve to this place where she starts to question. And what does he go after? The serpent goes after God's character. He goes after God's character. He says, God knows that when you eat, you're going to be like him. You're going to be just like him. And so he's actually holding out on you There's actually something better for you that he's holding out on you for. And so you can't really trust his character. Right? So he's getting Adam and Eve on this path to not trust God. This is the anatomy of sin. And then we get to verse 7. Then the eyes both were open and, and they knew that they were naked and they sewed, uh, sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This section ends with Adam and Eve trying to cover themselves after their sin. And what they're finding is it's not working. And so how does God save? We see it play out in three ways. I'm gonna give you all three up front. We're gonna break this down from the text, okay? And so here's the three ways in which God uh, saves. The first one is, number one, God seeks. God seeks. Number two, God confronts. And number three, God covers. God seeks, God confronts, 
God covers. So the first point is God seeks. Look at verse 8 through 10. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And so how does, how does God seek? How does he do it from this text? What we see first is this, the Lord God walking in the garden. The Lord God walking in the garden. I want, I want to point that out. If you're, if you're taking notes or, or you're highlighting, underline that because here's the thing. This is significant. What we know about God is that God is the creator of all things and he knows all things. So God knowingly is walking toward creation after the most devastating thing happened one theologian pointed out that about this text that God is committing himself to the process of seeking humanity he is committing himself to the process of seeking humanity he's not naive to what's happened yet he chooses to walk toward humanity Franz de Litch says it was God their creator who now as God the redeemer was seeking the lost. They went from relationship with God, closeness, nearness to him, to lost. And now we see God going to go find the lost, seeking out the lost. Next it says, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now, the where is rhetorical. God knows where they are. Okay, it's not information for God, but it is more for them. So this where is for Adam and Eve specifically. And here's the, I want you to think about the tone because next they come out. The way in which God had to have said it, it was a gracious invitation. And this should cause us to ask, when we're empty, when we have chosen against God, when we separated ourselves from him and said, God, I reject you, what's the voice in which we hear God calling out to us? Do we hear one of, get out here, I knew what you did. Right? One of fear, condemnation, that type of tone. The way in which God calls them out, invited them to come out and to show themselves after what they'd done. A.W. Tozer says this, he says, we need never shout across the spaces to an absent God. He is nearer than our own soul, closer than our most secret thoughts. There is a God who comes near to sinful people. There's a God who comes near to broken people. 
God is the hero of this. He seeks. And so what does God find? He finds his creation hiding in fear and isolation. See, here's the thing. Sin caused separation from God, separation from one another, separation from God's creation. What is sin? It's the rejection of the one true God and trying to place self as God. It was the temptation from the very beginning. I can be like God. I can actually be the God of my own life. It's making life about that middle letter in the word sin, I. I. It's about me. Look at verse 10. Look at, look at, look at Adam's response. Here's what he says. He's, God is calling to him, asking him some questions. Here's his response. He says, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I heard. I was afraid. I was naked. I hid myself. Huge transition in Adam's life where it's become all about him. But God seeks him. Second part, God confronts. Look at verses 11 through 13. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, uh, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now there's two parts to this. There's two parts to this. The first is, God asks, he says, who told you? Who told you that? And, and Adam really doesn't give the answer. But he goes straight to defending himself. You see what he does there? He says, um, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, that you gave her to me, and that's the reason why I did it. You see, first he's blaming God. And secondly, he's blaming Eve. Everything around him, it's everybody else's fault. It's not my fault. It's everybody else's fault. Do you see how sin works? It starts to get us to this place where we think it's all about me and it's everybody else's fault. Yes, have you? Have you eaten? After he's blamed everybody else, yeah, I ate. See, because of sin, God goes from being a safe place to a barrier to get around. And now they have moved from freedom to bondage. Their interest has moved from God to themselves, and God didn't have to, but he lovingly confronts their sin. See, as he's asking these questions, what is it pulling out? It's pulling out the true, like, state in which they were standing in. Distance from God. And then we get to verses 14 and 19, and the interesting thing is this, that God, his curses, 
He curses the serpent. He curses the soil. But he doesn't curse Adam and Eve. He doesn't curse them. There is punishment. There's repercussions to sin. But God doesn't curse them. Walter Brueggemann, commentator on this, he says, the miracle is not that they are punished, but that they live. That's the miracle. As we read through this text, as we see who God is, we see that God confronts, yet he confronts in grace, unmerited kindness, favor towards sinful humanity. Hold on to that because the last one is God covers. Look at verses 20 through 21. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now, what is this covering that God gives them? Well, it's a covering for their nakedness because of their shame and their guilt. This is the first time that humanity has ever had to deal with shame and guilt. And we know that there's a problem in our world with many of us who struggle with shame and guilt. In March 2012, Brene Brown did a TED Talk on shame. And that talk has had over 34 million views. 34 million views. And one of the things she says is that shame is the swampland of the soul. She talks about guilt in this way. She says, I'm sorry I made a mistake is is guilt. But she says, shame gets you to this point where you say, sorry, I am a mistake. Sorry, I am a mistake. But here's the thing about that talk. Listening to the whole talk, she's never able to give an answer on what to do with it. The only thing she says is just vulnerability, vulnerability, vulnerability. We got to talk about shame. We got to put it out there. That's what strength is. But there's no solution to the shame. There's no solution to the guilt. And so what's God's answer to the shame and the guilt? It's not just to talk about it. See, he did that in the second point. We talked about it here. We brought it out in the open. But God does something about it. You see, in in this verse, we see the first ritual sacrifice for sin. All we see is that there were skins. But there was a sacrifice. Which we see all throughout the New Testament is that there were ritual animal sacrifices for sin. See it done in the temple. But now for the very first time, we see that it wasn't done by a priest, but it was done by God himself. There's suffering involved. There's a cost to sin. Yet God didn't take it out on Adam and Eve, which they deserved, but he took it out on creation. And he did that because it's costly grace from the very beginning. 
Again, Walter Brueggemann says about this text, he says, when the facts warrant death, God insists on life for his creatures. The cursed ones are protected. The, the one who tests is the one who finally provides. God does for the people what they could not do for themselves. They cannot deal with their shame, but God can, will, and does. God does something about it. See, it's God who comes in as Savior and covers them in their shame and guilt. And so quickly, just some takeaways here. First, understand the reality of evil. Understand the reality of evil. Um, I remember I was watching the news and they brought on all these different people. Um, It was another school shooting. And I remember watching and there are different people trying to explain, like, why do things like this happen? And none of them could really explain it. But then there's one guy who says, you know what, there's actually evil in this world. There's actually, there's a reality of evil in this world. And he says, there's, there's, there's a devil, there's all of these things. Those things are real. He says, there's evil that lives within us. And I remember people on the show just kind of looking at him a little shocked and a little like weirded out. Like, what? What are you talking about? How could that be? But here's the thing. We, because God has told us this is a reality, we don't have to be naive to it. We don't have to be naive to the things that God has already told us. And so we don't have to be surprised that there's evil in this world. I'm not surprised by it anymore. And so understand the reality of evil. But second, carefully examine the voices that guide you. Carefully examine the voices that guide you. Is it from God? Or is it from the serpent? Like I talked about earlier, the the Hebrew points out that we, we should not take the words of the serpent at face value. This week I got something in the mail, uh, opened it up. Uh, it was nice little shiny card on it. said, Chase, freedom. Freedom. said, you won't believe it. You got accepted for $20,000 of spending. Congratulations. Here's your card. And, um, you know, I was like, wow, freedom. Cool. You can go out and get whatever you think. You know, like I can go out and buy whatever I want right now. Cool. But here's the thing. If I was naive, I would do that. (laughs) If I haven't done that before and learned from it, sweet. (laughs) Okay. It's not in big, bold letters, 16% when you don't pay, right? like the full amount. You're going to get the APR and all that other stuff. Not on there. See, if I, if I see something at face value and it says that's freedom, and then I just jump into it and believe it, what I find is that it can turn into bondage. That's how the enemy works. He tells you this is your life. This, this is all about you. This is, this is your dream. This is what you need to go after. This life is all about you and your desires. It sounds really nice. It sounds really appealing. It sounds nice and shiny, right? It's that shiny little car that says, this is the thing that's going to get me to where I, I need to be. 
make this life about you. That's what he does. But it leads to bondage. It leads to distance. It leads you away from God. See, the serpent questions God to harm man. That's what he did. He questioned God. He questioned God's character to harm you and me. That's his intention. God is holding out on you. The serpent tries to make following God's commands optional. It doesn't really matter. God questions man to help him. God confronts our sin to help us because he loves us. Right this morning we were setting up. Um, my son's running around in there and, and uh, one of his friends came over. She's like, hey, he touched one of the things in there. I was like, okay, I gotta go talk to him. Go in there and confront him. Hey, did you touch that thing? Yeah, you know you're not supposed to touch that, man. It's not a good thing. He's like, yes, I did, Dad. Yes, I did. Here's the thing. As a parent, my heart for my kids is that they grow up to be people who love God and are honest and tell the truth. Right? And so when God is looking at his creation, he's questioning them not to, to just bring down the hammer on them. Obviously not. But it's out of love and care for them that he does this. And so when there are questions that pop up that God asks you in here, and it's offensive because sometimes it hurts, doesn't it? You're like, ooh, I didn't want that question to be. God, you can ask me another question, but not that one, not that area of my life. Don't ask me that about that part of my life. You're cool asking me these things. No, God doesn't come in as just our, um, you know, ask advice here and there kind of guy. He comes in as Lord. And so as Lord, God, he comes in and asks us questions that help us. His questions may hurt, but it's for our good. So carefully examine the voices that guide you. Carefully examine those. And last, ask what covers your life. Ask what covers your life. See, here's the thing. Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with these fig, uh, with these fig leaves, right? And they must have looked really silly trying to cover themselves up like this. They must have looked really silly. And the, the, the thing is, if we look at this text, we will see the, the same thing playing out in our own lives. We do the very same thing. Like, this isn't only like Christians who do that. This is the world who does that. Okay? Last week, the reason I was gone is because I was with my son and he got top 10 in the nation in a couple things for karate, all this other stuff. Like, he was, he was there and um, he was competing. And he gets all the way to the very end, to the very finals. They call it the AKA Warrior Cup. Gets all the way to the end. Ends up getting second place. He looked at me after he said, Dad, I mean, his tears in his eyes he said, I just wanted to glorify God. I just wanted to glorify God. 
And I asked him, I said, do you think you can glorify God by losing? He's like, I don't know. He said, I want you to think about the one who glorified God more than anyone, Jesus Christ. Did he lose? Yeah, he lost his life. So then you can glorify God in winning and losing because those trophies don't cover your life. Doesn't matter. None of those things matter. Only him. Only God. You need to ask, and I need to ask, what is it that covers my life? What, what is it that I say makes my life valuable or worthwhile? Do I believe the words of God and what he says about me? Or do I believe that I need some trophy or some achievement or something, job, whatever it may be, to make my life valuable? Because that's the fig leaf. That's the fig leaf. That's the thing that we are using to cover our lives and say that our lives mean something. And it's the cycle. It's the cycle that we just keep playing over and over and over again. It's the belief that we can do it ourselves. When God says, I'm the only one that can cover you. And so what we find in verse 21 is that God covers Adam and Eve. He clothed them by his grace. Why would God do this? Love. Love. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You want to know where the gospel is? It's really all through this. But in Genesis 3.15, there's this prophecy. It's a prophecy that tells us to fast forward from this point. See, here's the thing. We, at this point, Adam and Eve, this is all they had. But you and I have a lot more. We've got the whole story. So we can fast forward to here, to here, to the back of the book. And you always love those books where you're like, okay, well, well, yeah, I get this, but what's going to happen over here? You know what I mean? Like you, you get that. We get that. This prophecy, Genesis 3.15 says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. And between your offspring and her offspring, you shall bruise your head and you, and you shall bruise his heel. What is this talking about? Well, God talks later about he cursed the serpent, right? But he's talking specifically to the serpent? No, he's talking to Satan. What's he saying? He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. Why, why the woman? Because there was going to be a woman, Mary, who would give birth to Jesus. How would she do that? Through pain of childbearing. Her offspring and your offspring. He shall bruise your head. What is, what is bruising the head? The death blow. You shall bruise his heel. On the cross, it looked like it says anyone who's put on a cross is cursed. Why did God not curse Adam and Eve? Because one day he would curse his son. He would curse his son. He would curse his son by putting him on a tree. Why? Because he loved you and me. And so the cross of Jesus Christ 
is the great reminder that no longer do we need to live covering ourselves with fig leaves, but that God has covered us in Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection, Jesus Christ. And when you look throughout the Bible, you'll see that story played out again and again and again. God saves. He's Savior. And he does that with the messiest, most messed up people. He comes near to us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you did it. You accomplished it. You came near to us. And I pray, Lord, that we never forget this story, that that the fall was real, it happened. And that because of your grace, because you sought us, you didn't give up on us, Lord. You didn't give up on humanity, but you sought humanity. And you loved us to the very end, to the very end of yourself, that you would die for us. Thank you that it wasn't a surprise and so you didn't know what to do, but you had a plan. And the plan was for yourself to give yourself away to us. Help us to see that more and more today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.